so this morning we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. For those of you that are visiting Green Tree, uh, we're in a year-long series in the area of discipleship. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And way back in, in late August through early September, mid-September, we did kind of a five- or six-week introductory uh, portion of our sermon series. After that, we talked about discipleship in worship, in the context of worship, for about five weeks. And now we're talking about, green tree, we're talking about generosity in the life of a disciple. So here's a question for you this morning as we begin. When's the last time you really got a kick out of giving something to someone, or, or to an organization for that matter? Uh, when's the last time that, you know, you just had a lot of fun giving something? Whether it was giving your time, whether it was giving of your financial resources, whether it was giving of some ability you had. When's the last time you just really got a kick out of that? Watch the screen, if you would, for a minute or two here. Hi, my name's Jill Gatcombe. I'm the counselor at Kaiser Elementary School in the Kirkwood School District. I've been there 11 years, and I'm very happy to be part of the Kirkwood School District family. Green Tree Church contacted us and wanted to know if we had some families that could um, benefit from some extra support over the holiday time. And it was just a a wonderful avenue for, for us that we had not even thought about to be able to help some of our families who were in need of some extra support during that time to help make Christmas and the holidays just a wonderful event for, for their children. The partnership that we've had with Green Tree through their Mitten Project has been such a blessing for our families in need through the whole Kirkwood School District. As a school counselor at Kaiser Elementary, we've seen the need grow tremendously over the five or six years. Um, We get more and more calls from families who really need some support and want to provide a wonderful Christmas for their children. We have that little area of families who are really in need that um, you might not expect in our community, but it's there. We try to always choose families who have three, maybe four children in them who uh, can really benefit from the, the gifts, and it's it's almost like Christmas for for us when the gifts are delivered in these big bags and they're all wrapped and and uh, the, to be able to see all those gifts that these children are going to be able to enjoy on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. I have the privilege of being able to deliver those gifts to the families, and and there's just this overwhelming thank you and joy on their faces, and the kids are jumping up and down just to see the excitement on the families' faces and to know that joy has come to them. And then I feel joyful, and I know you folks feel joyful as well. It's, it's just a, a wonderful opportunity, and we thank you so much for being able to provide that to those families in need. Um, so if you've ever met Jill over at, at Kaiser Elementary, she's a wonderful person. Uh, and, I, and I'm thankful that we have people like that in our school district uh, with whom we can work. But uh, did you hear what she said towards the end? She said, you know, it, it's almost like Christmas for me to get to go and deliver these and to watch the expression on people's faces because we try to do our, our mittens, which, again, in about three Sundays from today, you'll see them strung all around the room. We try to do that anonymously and, and not, you know, kind of blow the trumpet and say this is what Green Tree is doing. But uh, she also said right after that, I know it brings you great joy. And when I saw this for the first time when we were looking at all the different stories that we're telling and we're reviewing the information, it was like, yeah, 
That's one of my favorite times at Green Tree. Now, I, I come to 2028, and I, and I appreciate 2028 and our service project in June. Uh, I went to Joplin uh, to help in Joplin, but I am not, uh, I'm not a fix-up guy. I'm not a hammer and nails guy. I, I'm not good at that kind of work. So while I appreciate what we do in 2028 and, and, and enjoy that, there's something about gift-giving that just stirs my blood. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure why I have it. But I love to, to look at these mittens and figure out, you know, which one I want. And, and what I love about the mittens is a lot of times, most of the times, it's things that kids really need. It's a, it's a coat. It's a, it's a pair of tennis shoes. It's, it's something that, you know, that, that they really can't do without. And for me, it's just so much joy to be able to do that. In fact, we have, to, we have a code now. Cindy and I have to be careful because I'll, like, bring home seven of them. And, and she's, she's gotten a couple, too. And she's like, okay, you, you, know, you, you might have wanted to talk to me about that just a little bit. But that, I don't know why. That just kind of gets my engines going. I really enjoy that. It reminds me, I think, of, of just how much fun it is to actually help somebody else. So in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul is, is trying to relay the message that God is a generous God. That, and we'll come back to a particular verse in just a couple moments in chapter 8 where he, where he specifically points that out. But he's wanting to pass that, that passion and that heart on to the people of Corinth. He's wanting them to look more like their heavenly father when it comes to giving. And so the idea of excitement... The idea of impassionment, the idea of you know, just really getting a kick out of something is not what most pastors and most churches feel when they come to kind of the stewardship uh, season of the churches. So I've been scratching my head saying, well, why? Why not? Why can't it be the most joyful time? Because as I read this passage of Scripture, I think that God provides us all that we need to really become cheerful givers in every area of our lives. So the sermon in a sentence this morning is simply this. As Jesus' disciples, God calls us to cheerful giving and, and this is probably the more important part, provides his grace to that end. God doesn't call you and me to something that which he isn't going to empower us to be able to follow him. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that statement this morning in the lens of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read the first eight verses, but we're really going to just concentrate on verses 6, 7, and 8 during our, during our study time. But hear the word of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Now, it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, talking about the, this collection of uh, money that's going to help the people in Jerusalem who are starving because of a famine. As Paul says, it's kind of redundant for me to keep talking about this, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying, saying that Achaia is ready, has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some of the Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly 
or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, as we come to worship you with our minds this morning, uh, we come uh, from a lot of different places, a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different situations, uh, circumstances, whether they be family circumstances or, or uh, work or professional circumstances or uh, situations with dealing with our health or our finances. Uh, Father, with this many people in one room, there are many unspoken uh, prayers There are many burdens that folks are carrying. There are also many joys that we're experiencing, uh, moments of triumph, moments of of great happiness. Father, we thank you that you know every area of our lives, that you uh, know us intimately, that what we maybe hide from others or what we're uh, a little bit reluctant to say about ourselves, you know. And you don't abandon us. You don't stop loving us. Lord, I think of the, the song that, that we just sang. It says, I'll, I'll hold on to you no matter what. And, and that, that, I had to make that a prayer because I know that that statement isn't true in my life. I know I don't always hold on to Jesus. I know that I want to. I know that I, I want to be faithful. I want to um, have the strength to, to always trust in you, but I know I don't. And, uh, and I don't want to talk about that very often. And I'm sure that my brothers and sisters in this room are feel the same way sometimes. So we need your word. We need your truth to penetrate our lives, not for the purpose of building a building or doing any particular type of ministry, but because our hearts are enriched and enlivened when we're more like our Lord and Savior Jesus. So we pray to that end. We pray that you would come and teach us. Forgive me for my sin, Father. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know and understand. The work that you want to do in our lives this morning, we pray that you would come and do it. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, in the umbrella question of when's the, you know, the last time you gave, you really got a kick out of giving, or where, where do you see that kind of manifest in your life? Uh, looking at this passage, I have four observations about how I think Paul is encouraging us to allow God to move us in that direction. And I, and I want to make sure we understand that from the outset. What Paul is talking about here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is very practical in the, in the first several verses. He's reminding them about the need. He's saying to them, don't forget about the saints in Jerusalem. He says, it's, it's almost superfluous. I, I almost don't even need to say it again. You get it. You understand it. You guys have been talking about this for a year. And I almost kind of feel like saying, you know, I, there's, there's not too much that needs to be said about kind of where we are in the life of Green Tree. You know, you've, you've heard me maybe almost ad nauseum. I've had dozens and dozens of conversations with individuals and, 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 and couples and groups of people. Uh, or you've gone and sought out information on your own. And so it's almost like we don't necessarily need to talk about the need but what we really do need to understand is God's power to supply that need through us. And I think that's what Paul is trying to teach the Corinthians, and so I believe that's what, what uh, is here for us this morning as well. The first observation is really a very simple observation. It comes out of verse 6, and it's simply proverbial truth from the farm, so to speak. Paul gives an agrarian example to make his point, and he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully 
will also reap bountifully. There's not a whole lot that needs to be said about that. You can only grow as many plants as the seeds you have sown. If you've sown a thousand seeds, you can, you can reap a thousand. You're not going to reap 3,000 or 5,000 or 10,000. You might not reap a thousand. You might sow a thousand and reap 600, but you're certainly not going to go over that. I mean, the math that pretty much speaks for itself. What we plant in the ground is going to eventually come up if it's cared for, if it's nurtured, if it's watered, if it's provided for. We can reap what we sow in our garden, and we can kind of reap what we sow in our lives in a lot of different levels. Uh, my best agrarian example of this is uh, about uh, 16 years ago, we moved into our house. And when they finished the house, and, it was all, and we, we were building a new house on the property that my, my, where my grandmother's house was when I was a little boy, the front yard was just a, you know, just a whole pile of dirt, right? And it was all tilled up, but it was smoothed out. And then they came and they threw, you know, they overseeded and threw a ton of seed on the ground, covered it up with hay, and then we, you know, did the sprinkler on it. Uh, we moved in in June, so all summer we sprinkled it. And by the next spring, we had a beautiful, lush, green lawn. And for about three or four seasons, it really stayed that way. And, and there really weren't any weeds in that lawn for about three or four years. And then I started to see some dandelions come up. And a few other weeds here and there. And so I'd, I'd run up to Lowe's or, or, uh, or Builder Square or whatever, and I would get one of those little, you know, $29.99 cans of spray, and you may get the right ones that don't kill the grass. And I would kind of go around and I would squirt it. But I would think, you know, if I don't squirt too much, I won't, you know, this will last for a couple of years, <laughs> right? Okay. And so I spread that, you know, that weed killer around pretty sparingly, and lo and behold, it didn't work. <laughs> to the extent that about Four years ago, the front 25% of my lawn had like turned completely brown and died. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, now what do I do? So I go up to, the, to the, the store and I tell them what's going on and they give me a certain kind of grass seed that they promise will grow. And, I'm, and I'm, what I'm doing is I'm sowing sparingly <laughs> to the point where last spring I finally said, if I'm going to get this in check and my whole lawn is not going to be the embarrassment of my neighborhood, I'm going to have to pay some money. <laughs> I'm going to have to spend some of my resources in order to get this going in the right direction. And I think by next spring, we'll, we'll have tackled 80 or 90% of it. But the facts are, I wasn't willing to pay the price to get the result I wanted. The proverbial truth from the farm is you only, you only get what you put in. So the question is, what is green tree sowing? Now, I don't just mean this in terms of finances, and I want to be very clear about that. Our children will only grow as much as, much as we invest in their lives spiritually, right? The, the, the children of Kirkwood, the, the, the mitten ministry we do, will only, will only work as long as we're willing to take a mitten and go to provide some, some shoes or a coat for someone. As much as we invest is what we will reap. Pretty straightforward and understandable. But then Paul begins to turn the corner a bit and make the practical act uh, observations and applications. And my second observation is, is not only this, this growing, reaping truth, but the vital importance of inner personal reflection. Look at the first half of verse 7. Each one must give how? As he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. In other words, Paul says, you gotta, you gotta make this about you. It can't be about the other guy. It can't be about the bigger picture. It's got to be about what you are going to, to, to discern in your heart through prayerful consideration. Now, I'm going I'm to share, and I, and I hesitate to share the story because I think it could come out wrong, but I, I think you'll get it, and I think you'll understand it. This is not meant to be critical at all. I actually kind of chuckle a little bit at it. In the last 
couple of weeks, as we've been in this series on generosity, I've had, again, dozens of conversations, and, and, and I've had this conversation on numerous fronts. You know, we're all in. We're excited about where we're going, but it just it feels a little off that we're talking about money now that we need more money. I get that. I understand that. I pre- you know, it would have been better, Tom, if maybe, you know, six months ago you, you'd kind of started on this and, and got us ready. Maybe, maybe we'd be in a little bit better place because now it just it feels a little bit uncomfortable. What's interesting about that is about eight months ago, I made a decision that I was going to very subtly begin mentioning finances in the worship service, but I was going to do it like this. I was going to call attention to things that God was doing through us that were very positive, and then I was going to thank the congregation for investing in that. So the Sunday that we had the kids get their second grade Bibles, and they said their verses, and they sang their songs, I stood up after that, and I said, I just want to thank all the members of Green Tree. Because because of what you give, this is able to happen in kids' life. That was a genuine statement. I wasn't. That's a true statement. After I made about three or four weeks of those kinds of comments, I had people come up to me and say, I know what you're doing. You're sneaking up on us. (laughs) You're trying to prep us for something that's coming down the line, aren't you? You didn't used to do that. I'm on to you. Well, friends, in all humility, which way do you want it? There comes a point where it's about me looking in the mirror. It's not about how the church leadership has decided to handle it or not handle it. You know, if you've been a green tree for a while, that we don't manipulate people. That's not our personality. That's not our style. We do a lot of things wrong. That's not one of them. Whether it's an elder or a pastor standing up here, we seek to speak the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ as best we can. But whether we're talking about marriage, whether we're talking about uh, discipleship and worship, whether as we get into the, to the Sermon on the Mount next spring and begin to talk about what Jesus says uh, as he shines the mirror in our heart on the difference between just acting a certain way and actually truly embracing something and believing it, regardless of what the topic is, friends, the application eventually comes down to me having to look in the mirror. And the same is true for all of us. Paul says this calls for a decision that is of the the mind and the heart. Notice how he says this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. It's interesting that Paul ties the intellectual and the emotional together here because the decision aspect is, is, is is the cognitive reasoning part and the heart is the emotional part of it. And Paul says they gotta go together. You have to make a decision that makes sense and feels right. And I would encourage all of us to pray along those lines, regardless of the topic. What Paul is saying is that my motives and your motives, whether, whether it's giving to the one fund or whether it's deciding whether I'm going to teach a Sunday school class or lead a small group or serve as a set-up, take-down uh, helper, whatever that decision is, the motive is crucial. Reluctance And compulsory giving on any level is counterproductive. Why is that? It's because our heart and our mind are not truly in it. We're not actually engaged. And when that happens, there's always and only one outcome, and that outcome is resentment. That outcome is being frustrated and and upset that I feel like I have to do this. And I'm going to give you an example of when our kids were little. And it it was mostly Katie, in all honesty. And Katie, I know you listen to these sermons, and I'm sorry, but... um, it, it, it was usually when, 
you know, Katie would, would whop Jordan on the head or do something to her little brother. And, you know, there comes a point where as a parent, you get them in the room and you find out what happened. And then, you, you know, you fall into this trap. You say to that child, now you tell your brother you're sorry. <laughs> you know, and what do you get? You, you, if you're a parent or, you're, or you've been a child, we've all been a child, here's what you get. I'm sorry. Right. Oh, that was genuine. That was, let's all go get an ice cream cone. That feels so good, right? No, we're, we're telling someone to do something and, the, and their heart isn't in it. And so because my wife is a genius, we figured out that, that that was actually counterproductive, that that was creating resentment in the heart of our daughter. So we said, you don't have to say sorry. If you don't mean, in fact, if you don't mean it, don't say you're sorry. And that would actually gnaw on her worse than the, worse than the other. And eventually, God would get, capture her little heart, and she would, she would see it for what it was. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're feeling like somebody's putting the thumb screws to you and saying, you know, you have to do this, you don't. If there's not a sense of cheerfulness in your heart this morning, if you're struggling with that, I'm not going to assume that that's just because of greed. <laughs> I'm not going to, get to, to assume that just because someone may be struggling with this idea uh, that it really doesn't have something to do with the way that maybe we could have done it better. could also have something to do with fear or anxiety because our, our financial situations are, are wide and varied within this congregation. I'm sure of that as well. But if you have a sense of reluctance in your heart, I would encourage you to hold off. But I wouldn't stop there. I wouldn't be serving you very well if you're a pastor. If I said, well, just, just wait and see how that changes. You can also be proactive while you hold off and while you think about that. And I would encourage you to begin praying every day that God would show you your heart in this matter and that he would show you his. Because if you see his, you're going to see generosity. You're going to see generosity off the charts. And again, we're going to come to that in just a minute. But you're also going to have your heart exposed for what it is in the only place where that's safe. You see, if you expose your heart to people, you're going to get hurt eventually. Sometimes a spouse can hurt you. Sometimes a parent can hurt you. Sometimes the closest person in the world can hurt you when you expose your heart to them. But, but uh, even if you live in a family where you care for one another well, eventually if you expose your heart to people, they're going to step on it. They're going to hurt you with that information, but not God. God you go to God and say, God, I don't want to give a penny to this dumb thing. I'm, I'm really upset we're doing this, and I'm not happy. God doesn't say, well, then I'm just going to you know, give you boils and plagues, and you're going to be miserable the rest of your life. God says, I understand, child. Let's talk about that. Let's work on that. Let's think about that together. God is the one safe place where you can really be yourself. So I want to encourage you, if that's where you are this morning, just take that to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I need to talk about this. And I would offer one other piece of advice, and it's this, and, and this is, I could, I could find, it's not in this passage, I could find scripture to reinforce this. I would find a generous person and sit down and have a conversation with them. Say, tell me what makes you tick. And if you don't know any generous people, I know lots of them. So I'll give you some names. If you, I'm serious. I'll give you a name of somebody to, to talk to. I know lots of people in Green Tree that are incredibly generous, and they would be more than happy to share their journey with you. The vital importance of inner reflection is every one of us willing to do that. Paul calls us to that, that, that task. I want you to see the second half of this verse, though, because not only is there a vital importance for inner reflection, but my third observation out of the four is this. I want you to see the smile of God. Look at the second, in fact, I'll read the whole verse of seven. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. Why is that? 
Well, I, I have this picture of God watching one of his kids be like radically generous, be just you know generous off the charts, and I kind of just see him sitting there grinning from ear to ear. It's almost like the Cheshire cat look. It's, it's, it's the image, like he knows something that nobody else knows, and he's just, he's just smiling. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Does God feel like now I've really got them where I want them? Now I've got them feeling so guilty that they'll give me everything and be happy about it in the process? That that God is that kind of manipulative, evil kind of being? No, not at all. It's because God knows when he looks at my heart and and he sees joy there, genuine joy when I give whatever it is, my time, my treasure, my talent, he smiles and, 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 and he is excited because he understands that I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to understand. It's if he's, he steps back and he says, you see, my, you see my son there? You see my daughter there? Uh, they're, they're becoming a chip off the old block. <laughs> they're starting to get it. Get what? What am I starting to get? When I experience joy in my life through giving, when I experience happiness in my life and contentment and, and a cheerfulness that really by the world standard shouldn't be there because I've sacrificed something, what am I getting? Well, I'm getting chapter 8, verse 9. Here's what I'm getting. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he is rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What I'm getting is the character of my Lord Jesus more deeply embedded into my life. And I've mentioned this verse before. Remember in Hebrews chapter 11, Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus went to the cross and paid the greatest sacrificial price that could ever be paid so that you and I, who were, who were bankrupt spiritually and morally and deserving of nothing better than repossession of our souls and paying the price in debtor's prison in hell for all of eternity, could actually have new life. And the cost of that was infinite. The cost of that was Jesus. When you read this verse, and and I dare say memorize it because every one of us should, (laughs) remember the important part here. For your sake, he became poor. That word means destitute. That word means he gave everything. There was nothing left to give. That's what Jesus has done. For you and for me. So when, when, I, when, I, when I begin to get generosity on any level, God is smiling because he's almost like he's looking at his son. He's saying, hey, they're starting to look a little bit more like you. <laughs> they're starting to move in that direction. Isn't that a good thing? And I, I think they may be fist pump, although I have no scripture to back that up. But I think maybe they are. I, I've asked all of our kids in the last year, what's the best memories you have of, of Christmases growing up? And uh, I think it was Katie. It sounds like I kind of picked on Katie a little bit. Katie, now I'm going to give you the benefit. And if it's not you, don't just let it go. We will say it's you. Um, but I, I, if I rem- recall correctly, Katie's response was, Dad, you remember um, that family that lived down the street from us when we lived out by Queenie Park in our first house in St. Louis, that the family that had immigrated to the United States? And you remember that, that they came and played in our neighborhood all the time, and they were always hanging out at our house, and there were, I think there were like three brothers or uh, I think it was maybe three brothers, one sister, or three or four kids. And you remember how mom told us that they didn't have much and how we went out and, and how we got stuff for them. 
and we wrapped it up. And you remember, we took it over to their house, and you, we snuck over there, and nobody knew it was us. And we put it on their front doors. You remember that? We did that for, you know, like three or four or five years till we moved away. I'm like, yeah. She didn't talk about what she had gotten. She didn't talk about, you know, when you, know, when you guys did this, you know, special surprise for us or that special surprise. And I'm a Christmas freak. I do all kinds of, I, I just, I love Christmas. I have so much fun with Christmas. Um, and, and I probably do more than I should. But I was so proud that she remembered that. And I was so disturbed that it was Cindy's idea, not mine. But that's a story for another day. Um, I had to kind of cut the emotion because I was, I was getting a little wound up there. But um, I'm like, wow, she gets it. And she carries the name Ricks with her. It's hyphenated now. Now it's Ricks Thompson. But, but, but she, carries, she carries my genes with her. And maybe there'll be somebody in her neighborhood where she lives that'll benefit from that someday because she looks a little bit more in all honesty, like her mom. That's the smile of God. God isn't going to smile dawn out on us and go, oh, look at that great building. <laughs> Boy, the architecture is wonderful. God. <laughs> I, I don't think that's of much interest to God. I mean, he designs a much better building. Read Revelation. It's a pretty incredible architectural structure. <laughs> but I do think he will be thrilled at any advance in your heart and in my heart where we see his generosity and we embrace it for ourselves. My fourth observation is not just the, the truth from the farm or the vital importance of the inner reflection or the smile of God, but I said it earlier that God, that God gives us the wherewithal to do this. Look at the power of God in verse 8. And God is able, so here's the object of the sentence is God. God is able to do what? To make all grace abound, I have to kind of look around that, abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, there are people that have taken that verse and abused it and said, see, if you just give with a smile on your face, God will make you rich. That's not what it's saying. God's saying you'll have everything you need to do his work. You think of somebody like Corey Ten Boom who had everything she needed to do God's work in a concentration camp. Okay? Don't violate the word of God by assessing a financial value to a verse that... that couldn't be further away from the truth. You'll have everything you need to reflect the glory of your Father. You'll have everything you need to give in a way that points people to Jesus. And there's nothing outside of that equation. The question is, am I going to embrace that in my own heart? Am I going to allow God to be God? Am I going to, to, to live in all grace and all sufficiency in all, time, in all things and all times? I will if I understand that, that I'm, I'm not alone in this. In fact, I'm not even the initiator of my generosity. In fact, God is the initiator of my generosity, and he promises his strong partnership with me. That's his promise to Green Tree Community Church. So how do we, how do we apply this text this morning? Well, I think the, the, the first application is this. I want to more and more reflect the generous heart of my Father in heaven and the Lord Jesus. That's what's cheerful about giving. When, when I, whether it's something small or something big, whether, whether it's something that goes unnoticed or, or somebody else finds out about, it doesn't really matter. When I have the opportunity to reflect more of the grace of God, and I've said this a, a couple of weeks ago, when people interact with me, wherever it is, in any situation, do they see the generous heart of God? Do they see the generous heart of God? Secondly, I get to partner with God by planting seeds for new life in Christ. What we do every Sunday here is that. 
we, we preach the gospel. We preach it to the little kids in Sunday school classrooms. We talk about it with one another. We preach it from the, from the pulpit. We sing about it. We pray in that manner. All of this is an opportunity for us to partner in what God is doing. And this next leg of the journey is no different. What we're going to try to do over the next couple of years is going to be an enormous stretch for Green Tree Community Church. It's going to be a, a huge challenge in front of us. But it's also going to be the opportunity for us to lay a foundation where these seeds are planted long after we're gone, unless the Lord Jesus returns. I've been praying about that too. I've said, now, Lord, if on the moment we're getting ready to cut the ribbon to the building and you come back, I am going to be just slightly, slightly disappointed. (laughs) You know, give us one Sunday in in the building. Remember right before I was 16, I was like, Lord, if you come back before I get my driver's license, I'm really going to be upset. (laughs) The shallowness of the pastor is astounding. Um, we get to partner with him. And after we're gone, and after we're in heaven, and we've forgotten about this sermon long since in the past, and all we see is Jesus, if he hasn't returned yet, there'll still be people in this area that are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second thing is that, that greed, and I should have said they're greed or fear or anxiety. It could be a lot of things other than greed, but it begins to lose its death grip on me. Um, my Wednesday morning Bible study is going through this generosity book that we're all doing, uh, Gordon McDonald, or hopefully you're reading that. I really hope you do. It's a great book. And one of the guys in, in our study said to me, you know, said to our whole group, he said, this is really interesting. He said, when I was like 26 years old, I said to God, you know, God, when I get to the place where I'm making about $50,000 a year, I'll start giving generously. And he said, you know, now that's pretty far in my rearview mirror. And I said, well, okay, Lord, as soon as, the, as soon as the kids get through high school and out of college, you know, then I'll, I'll be able to give generously. But he said, you know what I realized? I realized that you know, that's not too... I think their youngest one is um, maybe a junior in high school. And they're actually at our, at our Webster Church, not at Riverside, not at Green Tree. Um, he said, but you know what I realized? I realized that when I say that, I'll come up with another reason not to give. He said, I just... He goes, so last week, some guy came up to me who needed $3,000, and I gave him $3,000. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> Come back to Kirkwood. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, yeah, and you know, you know what I found out? I, it's like an arm didn't fall off my body and, you know, my, my account's still okay. So I just realized that, that the only way that, that I was going to get rid of this death grip, that's kind of what he was talking about, was just to, to, to start being generous. He goes, it was actually a pretty cool experience. I said, do you mind if I share that? He said, no, just don't use my name. I said, okay. <laughs> but, but his example was, was pretty cool. It just reminds me if it, that God's power in me, creating generosity, actually frees me up from some other stuff that feels pretty bad. And I eventually become a cheerful giver. Paul's words to the Corinthians uh, were intended to help save lives, the people and saints in Jerusalem. I think his words to us are exactly the same today. And what I want to do to end, I'm going to to close in prayer in just a minute. But after I pray, I want to give us just a a moment or two of silent prayer. And it could be a prayer of confession. It could be you say, Lord, I'm not a cheerful giver. And and it might be, I don't really want to be a cheerful giver. So if you want me to be that, you're going to have to do something pretty incredible. And at least I'm willing to pray about it for the next two weeks and go talk to somebody that Tom suggests I talk to. to. And maybe it's like, Lord, I'm going that direction and and deepen it in my heart. And maybe, Lord, thank you for creating that. I don't know why you you allowed me to to have that that spiritual truth so so rich and free in my life. And maybe you'll use me to to pass that on to someone else. I, I don't know what your prayer 
can be or should be, but I want to invite you to have a time, and I'm going to take that time as well to just pray and say, Lord, just speak to your people. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for uh, Paul's words of admonition. I also thank you, Lord, for his, his words of encouragement. God loves a cheerful giver, not, not because we're doing our duty, not because we've, you know, we, you know, we've proven that we can give more than others. But if there's, if there's genuine joy in our hearts, it means it's because we've understood or begun to understand how much you did for us and how rich is the grace in which we stand and how we, we really don't want anything to get in the way of that especially those things that we, that we self-impose. So, Father, I, I pray for all of us this morning, myself at the front of the line, uh, that you would teach us this joy, that you would embed it deep in our souls. And whether it's today as we're looking at the challenges and the opportunities in front of us or 10 years from now or, or whenever, Lord, that the byproduct of that would be that more people would know Jesus more people would be saved. More people would be standing alongside us in his grace because you let Green Tree be a cheerful giver. Hear hear us now, Lord, as we just silently uh, take a moment to pray.